Welcome to the ABA Journal Legal Rebels podcast, where we talk to men and women who are remaking the legal profession, changing the way the law is practiced, and setting standards that will guide us into the future. Welcome. I'm your host, Lyle Moran. My guest today is Michelle Pistone. She is a law professor at Villanova University, where she founded the Clinic for Asylum, Refugee, and Immigrant Services, known as CARES. Michelle also has created a new online program at the university, training those who seek to become accredited representatives. These paraprofessionals are permitted to provide legal assistance to immigrants in proceedings before the federal government. During this episode, we will discuss the new accredited representatives program, called VISTA, and touch on how it could potentially serve as a model for training other legal paraprofessionals. Michelle, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Lyle. I'm really excited about this conversation. Same here. Well, Michelle, I was hoping you could start off sharing about how you developed your passion for immigration law. Oh, yeah. So I actually started representing asylum seekers about 30 years ago when I was an associate at Wilkie, Farr & Gallagher in New York, and I was working on corporate cases. And I was attracted to these um, asylum cases, which I started doing pro bono, because they provided an opportunity to work directly with a client and to have direct responsibility over a case. So on the other things that I was working on, of course, I was the most junior associate. So this was a nice balance to to the work I was doing in the corporate world. Great. And then I know at some point you obviously transferred into academia um, at Villanova University's law school. When did you first get to incorporate your passion for immigration work into your time at Villanova? Yeah. So um, I was actually still at that law firm, Wilkie, Farr & Gallagher, when um, I was asked by the Lawyers Committee for Human Rights at the time, now they're called Human Rights First, to become temporarily the acting legal director of their Washington, D.C. office. And my law firm allowed me to do that as a public, um, as a pro bono project. And so for about eight months, I ran the legal department at the Washington office of Human Rights First. And that really planted the seed for me to want to do more human rights and immigration work on a full-time basis. So after I went back to the firm, I was recruited to become a law professor through the the CALS clinic at Georgetown Law School, which is where I launched my career as a I transferred from becoming, from being a corporate lawyer to becoming an academic and really focusing full time on immigration. Terrific. And at what point did you found the Clinic for Asylum, Refugee, and Immigrant Services, known as CARES? Yeah, so I founded it in 1999. This was my first uh, full-time professor position. I was a fellow for two years at Georgetown in the CALS Clinic, and I worked with professors there who pretty much trained me to become um, a clinical faculty member. And I worked there for two years under their tutelage. And then they launched me into the field to become a law law professor. And I was hired by Villanova to found its in-house clinical program. So I started the entire clinical program and I started my clinic at the same time CARES, which for 20 years I directed and we provided free legal 
uh, representation to asylum seekers. The, the CARES clinic is still operating, but for the last few years, I've been focused mostly on VISTA. Right. Well, that's a perfect segue because I wanted to bring up VISTA. You know, why did you decide to start this program that trains paraprofessionals to appear as accredited representatives in immigration proceedings? Well, as a immigration lawyer and law professor, um, every time I went into immigration court, I was so angry and really ashamed to see that most of the people in the courtroom didn't have a lawyer. And I knew how much... um, it meant to people and they're just their fundamental ability to explain why they needed protection in the United States. It relies so much on having an advocate. And, you know, even today, six out of every 10 immigrants goes to court without a lawyer. And in some jurisdictions, it's even, you know, one in 10 go to court with, with a lawyer. So most don't have lawyers. And the chances of success on the merit increase by about 10 times when people have an advocate as opposed to those who don't. So it was really a system that doesn't it does it isn't designed to really get to the heart of the immigration cases and i was just frustrated with the lack of due process and i was also at the same time very interested in new models for legal education and thinking about how to uh how to develop online scalable models for legal education so it kind of was a really good point for me. I had I saw I saw the need in immigration court and I saw this new technology and was really interested in thinking about how to create online programs that could be taught at scale so that I could reach more people. So that's really the impetus behind the building of Vista. Great. And I do want to delve further into the details of the Vista program. But, you know, I was hoping first you could share a little bit more of like the type of legal tasks that accredited representatives can handle in immigration matters. Yeah, so it's really interesting, Lyle, because the regulations that allow for accredited representatives to represent immigrants in immigration court and before the Department of Homeland Security have been on the books for decades, for maybe, you know, up to 70 years. And yet there are only 2,000 accredited representatives nationwide. So it's a really untapped resource, a really untapped authorization to start thinking about how to train up people who might not you know, ever want to go to law school, but they want to become part of the solution and think about how we can equip them with the legal skills, knowledge, and values so that they can provide representation to immigrants. And while these regulations have been on the books for decades, there was no university until I started the VISTA program. Nobody was like formally at a university teaching people to become accredited representatives. So that's where I stepped in and started to think about how can we use online, you know, scalable models to start training up people for this um, authorization that you know, in a, in, a, in a market where there's so much need and so few resources for immigrants who need representation. Now, I understand your program has three different modules students can complete. Could you explain what the different modules are? 
Yeah, so I created the program so that it's really flexible. And I decided to, um, to make these three stackable modules. So basically, each module consists of two seven week sessions. And so the students, as I said, it's all online, and it's asynchronous. So each session is seven units. So on average, students do a unit a week. And the units have between 10 and 15 hours of work a week. So it, it is a robust program, but you can imagine that there's tons that people need to learn in order to be able to work effectively with immigrants. So module one, if people take module one, they get at the end of that 14 week you know, those two seven-week sessions, so the 14-week program, they earn a certificate from our College of Professional Studies in Immigrant Accompaniment. So the first module of the program is really designed to help people work effectively with immigrants. And so we look at all sorts of things. It's really designed from an interdisciplinary perspective where we're thinking about what is it that people need to know be able to do and value if they're going to work effectively with immigrants. So of course they need to understand how to interview an immigrant. They need to understand cultural difference and how to work effectively with an interpreter. Also why people migrate and what, um, you know, how the history of immigration and how immigrants and the treatment of immigration is kind of grounded in a, lot, in a lot of religious traditions. So in that first module, it's very interdisciplinary. And we look at all, you know, we look at migration from all those different perspectives. And then module two builds on module one. And module two is designed to teach people, start teaching people about immigration law and the immigration ecosystem. And not only the law, but all the skills and analysis and case planning that go into representing someone in an immigration proceeding. And module two is designed to help people to become what's called a partially accredited representative. So in order to become, let me just tell you a little bit about the accreditation program. So people are accredited to become accredited representatives through the Department of Justice. And the application is filed by an organization like a legal services organization that provides either free or low cost legal services to immigrants. So in order to be accredited, you have to work with a um, a, a legal services organization that has already been recognized by the Department of Justice as providing either low cost or no, pro bono legal services. And there are two layers, levels, excuse me, of accreditation. One is partially accredited representatives. And those are people who are authorized to provide legal services before the Department of Homeland Security. So most, mostly before USCIS or US Citizenship and Immigration Services. And then there's a second level of accreditation, which is called fully accredited representatives. And those people, they're authorized to provide representation just like a partially accredited rep before USCIS. But they're also authorized to represent people in immigration court. So what I've done is I've divided up the educational program so that people who want to become partially accredited representatives will, will, could end their, end their education after module two. 
So module two is really designed to teach people everything they need to know to represent someone with affirmative applications before USCIS. And those would be applications like humanitarian parole visas for Afghani refugees or, you know, Afghans who are coming from Afghanistan but also for um, people who want work authorization or who are seeking to naturalize and become U.S. citizens or who are looking for um, to adjust their status to lawful permanent resident. They're applying for a green card or people who are victims of crime, of a crime in the U.S. and they are eligible for a U visa or temporary protected status. There are so many different affirmative applications that people file every, you know, all the time before USCIS. And those cases can be handled by someone who's partially accredited and has taken module two of the curriculum. Michelle, um, that was very helpful describing the first two modules. Could you describe what the third one is all about? Yes. So module three focuses on providing Uh, the education that people need in order to become fully accredited representatives, to apply to the Department of Justice to become fully accredited representatives. So that module focuses a lot on the law that people would need to know when they're helping people in immigration court in removal proceedings, and also the trial advocacy skills that they would need to know. So how to conduct a direct examination, how to write an opening statement, how to you know, craft a closing argument, how to work with experts. Those are all the sorts of, of skills in addition to ethics and how to practice law, those are the types of skills that are taught in Module 3. Terrific. Well, we'll be back after a short break. If you're like me, you're probably a bit frustrated with the state of our political system today. Democracy Decoded, a podcast by Campaign Legal Center, examines our government and discusses innovative ideas that could lead to a stronger, more transparent, accountable, and inclusive democracy. Listen at democracydecoded.org to their new season, which takes a deep dive into democracy at the state and local level by highlighting different ways to ensure that every voter's voice is heard. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the Unbillable Hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there. Welcome back to my conversation with Michelle Pistone, a law professor at Villanova University. Michelle, when did the first class of students begin the VISTA program? So I launched it in August of 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic. And students started to, um, they graduated from the program in this summer, in August 2021. The first group of students finished all three modules. So it's been an exciting year. Yeah, and how many students were in that first graduating class? So there were 15 students who finished all three modules, but there are a lot who um, intentionally came into the program intending just to take module one or just to take module two. So altogether in the first year, we issued a little bit um, more than 200 certificates. 
And we probably have about close to 100 students enrolled right now in one of in all of the three modules. And are these students coming from all over the country? Yeah, so it's so exciting. Lyle, we have students from 32 states and Puerto Rico and D.C. And then we had a student who was um, in Guatemala studying the language of mom. So, so that's an indigenous language. And it's really hard to find lawyers in this country who speak mom. So this student was both you know, in Guatemala studying mom and also taking my program online. And so that was pretty exciting to see how people are able to like fit it into their lives wherever they are in the world. Wow. And, you know, is one reason you wanted the program to be online so that you could attract students from all over as you have so far? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I wanted it to be online because I felt like it would be less expensive, right? Because if I could scale some parts of it, like I create videos and then those are viewed semester after semester by students, I could keep costs down. And that has definitely been, um, you know, a reality. So the entire program is offered for less than $4,000. So each semester is um, a little like $1,270. And so we wanted to keep costs down because we really want to make this accessible to people so that they can then at the end be able to provide free or low cost legal services. But I also wanted it to be online, like you said, because I wanted to reach people from across the country, particularly people in um, in areas where a lot of immigrants live, but not a lot of lawyers live, like in rural or even, um, you know, places that are outside of city centers where there are a lot of immigration lawyers. So we're starting to see um, interest in places that are more, you know, rural and that's very exciting because that's part of what drove me to do this. Mm, terrific. Now, what has the background of the students been like so far in terms of their you know, professional journeys up to this point? It's been totally across the board, like really surprisingly uh, diverse. So in terms of age range, for example, we have students who range in age from uh, 21 to 86. Our most junior uh, student this year was a senior at Stanford University, and she took Visto while she was still enrolled at Stanford. And then at the end of her senior year, she got a job as an AmeriCorps volunteer, and she's working for a Catholic social services organization doing immigration legal work in Massachusetts. And then our oldest student was a retiree um, living in Texas. And really, it's so remarkable because we have the, the, the rest of the class is, is really almost uniformly spread out between all the uh, between 10 age groups from about 21 to 65. So about 10% of the class is in each five year range span. And so there's so much diversity and everybody's really learning a lot from each other. Yeah. Have you been surprised by how much diversity you've seen so far? Oh my God, I've been so surprised because, you know, when you think about how to get the word out and how to market a program. Like here, it's like everyone comes with a unique story. I have some students in the program who are 
first-generation immigrants. Some of them are refugees and and asylees, people who came to the United States as a refugee, and now they want to take the program so that they can give back to their community. There are some people in the program who are lawyers from other countries, and they want to serve their communities here, and this is a great way for them to use their legal background. I also have some lawyers who are taking the course because they want to do immigration work pro bono, or they want to switch from whatever area they were working on in the past into immigration. But then I also have a lot of retirees or people who are looking for an encore career. There's also, surprisingly, a lot of PhDs who've enrolled in Vista. (laughs) So I always find that interesting because I think to myself, like, who teaches PhDs? Like, usually that's the pinnacle, right, of their education. But there are people from a lot of different disciplines who are taking Vista, either because they're interested in learning about it for their students so that they can enhance their teaching, or there are also a lot of scholars who work on immigration-related issues, and they want to learn immigration law. So we have um, a PhD in anthropology and someone who's, who's from the French department. There's a mechanical engineer who's taking the program, Uh, someone who studies um, communications and someone else from Latin American studies. So it's such a diverse group of people and they're all learning from each other. And they, they remark, the students are always telling me how they love how much they learn from their peers in this, in the context of Vista. Wow, yeah, no, it does sound like a very wide array of folks, um, and more so, I guess, than even you were expecting. You know, one thing that comes to mind as you're describing the background of these folks and the opportunities ahead of them, I mean, do you think that um, these graduates could make a good living as full-time accredited representatives? Yeah, so we're finding there's so much diversity in that as well. Um, A lot of the students who have finished the program, even some that are still enrolled in the program, are already getting jobs because there's so much need for immigration representation right now. So one of the students just got a job at International Rescue Committee. Another one got a job at Vecina, which is a legal services organization. Organization. Esperanza Immigrant Legal Services in Philadelphia just hired one of our students as an intake officer. So there are so many opportunities for students to get jobs after they graduate from Vista. I'm also finding that a lot of the students who are taking Vista are coming from legal services organizations and they are interested in upskilling. So people, for example, who are receptionists and they want to learn more about immigration law so that they can help the clients in the office in a more, you know, deep or robust way. There are people who are partially accredited representatives who are coming to Vista because they want to become fully accredited. And so it's really exciting to see just even the diversity in terms of what they want to do with their with their education. There's also someone who's a media director at Oxfam who is enrolled in Vista. So there are people both in who are upskilling because they're in legal services organizations. And then there's also people who are upskilling because they're in positions that are adjacent to legal services, but they want to understand immigration and immigration law better. Fascinating. Now, you may have touched on this earlier, but it's just a point I want to be clear about. Do these accredited representatives have to be supervised by a lawyer at all in their work? 
Yeah, so the regulations um, permit someone to become accredited when they're working with a recognized organization, a Department of Justice recognized organization. As I mentioned, they're usually legal services organizations. And most of the time, there are lawyers on staff at the organization and they provide direct supervision. But there's other opportunities for organizations to become recognized when they have an affiliation or they have someone even on the um, you know, on the board of directors, for example, that is a lawyer and can provide oversight and technical guidance. So while most of the organizations that hire and employ accredited reps do have lawyers on staff, some of them have lawyers who are either on a contract or on the board, but the accredited reps always have access to a lawyer who can help them if when, when uh, problems come up. And one of the things actually that I'm hoping to form through Vista is a robust network of people who can provide oversight and supervision and mentor the Vista graduates as they start transitioning onto the, into the jobs. Okay, that's great. Yeah, you know, there's a couple of reasons I was interested in that topic. And one is, you know, in this realm of legal paraprofessionals, you often have lawyers who are concerned that the paraprofessionals would take work away from them. Is that an issue at all in the immigration realm? It's not an issue. I mean, as I said earlier, the statistics are really stark. I mean, six out of every 10 immigrants goes to court without a lawyer, including children. And so there's a dire need for more legal representation. Of course, you know, there are a lot of lawyers who are who are doing this work pro bono. Um, and that's wonderful. But even with all the pro bono work and all the legal services organizations out there, there's still not enough lawyers to do the work that's needed. And especially in areas that are more remote, like and and especially in with for clients who are in detention centers. Um, and so I, I really don't see any way that lawyers could ever really address the justice needs here. And so being able able to train people who are so passionate about doing this work and really, you know, are energized to become part of the solution. It's really been exciting to see, you know, just how, how diverse the group of people is that want to become involved in immigration representation. Some of my students are, you know, are people who were in finance careers and corporate careers for decades and are now seeing this as a way to give back to society. It's really beautiful to watch. Hmm. And do you think the VISTA program you've created could serve as a model for training paraprofessionals in other areas of the law? I definitely think that VISTA can be a model. I have learned so much about, you know, how to build a program that's um, that's online and that's flexible and designed to meet the needs of the students. My approach to education has been really student-centered, and I'm getting tremendous positive feedback from students on how much they feel empowered and confident because of the way that the, the program is structured. And I really feel like I've learned so much about 
both about legal education, you know, how to teach the law, but also how to structure an online program where, where I'm teaching someone to actually practice law and to put their skills to, to action. And so the way the curriculum is structured is it's very scaffolded and there's a lot of formative assessments. So students are always getting feedback on what they're learning. I really did rely a lot on the learning sciences when I designed the program to ensure that I was following like the latest science on how people learn. And so far, the, the evidence is that it's working. So it's really exciting to see. Well, yeah, no, it sounds like there's been many um, exciting developments so far. So, Michelle, thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, it's been such a pleasure, Lyle. Thank you for including me in this discussion. Sure. I also wanted to thank our listeners for tuning in. Please be sure to rate and review the Legal Rebels podcast on your favorite podcast listening service. I'm your host, Lyle Moran, signing off. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalRebels.com, LegalTalkNetwork.com, subscribe via iTunes and RSS, find both the ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or download the free apps from ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.